0: Welcome to Huntington Missionary Baptist Church man there's a lot of people here today uh, appreciate Adam appreciate Adam asking me to play uh, gives me a chance to do what the Lord's blessed me to do I want to say I appreciate everybody praying for my mother-in-law I told him Brother James, the other day, she's a jewel, you know, and uh, I'm going to tell one on her. Uh, you know, she had a bad uh, episode with her heart and, uh, and just about left here. And uh, Laura was up at the emergency room with her, and, and one of the nurses, you know, attending her said, she's, she's fixing to leave here. And, of course, Laura was in there. She went in there holding her hand, and uh, she said, Mama, said, he's with us. Birgie Virgie said, who's with us? And Laura said, the Lord. And Virgie said, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she's doing fine <laughs> right now.
1: Sometimes when I'm surrounded by sorrow And burdens seem to darken My way, then I know it's time to have a talk with Jesus. And everything seems brighter when I pray, when I'm holding out my heart and soul to Jesus. I can almost see the dark clouds roll away The Lord is always there in times of trouble And everything seems brighter when I pray When I pray, I know that things will work out better And I won't forget to praise Him every day. I'm so glad I know this precious friend named Jesus. And everything seems brighter when I pray. When I'm holding out. My heart and soul to Jesus I can almost see the dark clouds roll away The Lord is always there in times of trouble And everything seems brighter when I pray The Lord is always there in times of trouble, and everything seems brighter when I pray.
2: Bible talks about instructing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I think that, uh, that song was a good example of that, because there was a message to it that we would do all, all do well to heed, uh, to remember the of of prayer. This has been a, a journey that we've been taking through Malachi, and Lord willing, we're not uh, quite done yet. But uh, we are at the end of the sixth final discourse, just a few verses left that we'll try to cover, perhaps, um, as the Lord would would give us liberty to do that. But uh, just to bring everybody back up to speed, I know we're always blessed to have visitors with us. And and when you come in in the midst of something that's going on, like a series like this, it takes a little bit to kind of realize what's going on. So what we've been doing is going through the book of Malachi uh, verse by verse. And what we found as we've studied the book of Malachi are there six different discussions, right? discourses that are going on in Malachi They are here right next to each other and there's a pattern within each of these six. And the pattern is this. The Lord will make a charge. He will charge the people with some problem, some wrong that He was seeing in the nation of Israel through Malachi. Then God who sees the hearts says, and this Seeing that they had a problem. The Lord then provides a response where He shows them exactly how they were falling short of what He had said they needed to be. And then finally, in each of these sections, we see that there is something foundational that God reveals about Himself, something foundational that God reveals about His purposes or His plans that has a a powerful message and a powerful impact on us. And so just to kind of recall these, we began at the beginning of Malachi chapter 1, and the first discourse was entitled, the first message was, I have loved you. The issue was that despite their blindness to God's love, there was evidence of God's love right in front of them if they would just see it. And God revealed in that first discourse that He desired for His name to be made great. Beyond the borders of Israel. The second message, the second discourse was, I am a great king. And what they, the Lord revealed is that worship of God is weak. And they were unaware of it. They didn't see that their worship was so weak. But the Lord explained, look, I want my name to be great from east to west. I am a great king. You ought to treat me like that in the way that you serve me. The third discourse was entitled, The Godly Seed. And the issue was that their actions and who they married and how they stayed or didn't stay married, was undermining God's plans and purposes, because God's desire for that nation, for that people was that they would be a God that would raise up another godly generation, that they would make His name great across geography and also down through the generations, because this was a long-term plan. The fifth, or the, excuse me, the fourth. Uh, discourse was entitled an unchanging God God was frustrated by their ignorant complaints about his supposed inaction and God was showing them yes I have been moving the foundation of that message was that his faithfulness the reason he didn't wipe them out was because he was faithful the fifth one was entitled uh, try me This was the message about uh, tithing. And the Lord said the people were robbing him by not paying their tithes and offerings. And the Lord challenged the people to test him by stepping into his will rather than stepping out of it. The Lord says, try me if you won't do what I told you to do and watch me bless you. And so he was laying down those screws. And so now we come to this sixth final discourse, and we actually started preaching through this last Sunday. If you would read with me here, we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 13, and read down through chapter 4, verse 3. It says, your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet you say, where have we spoken so much against thee? You have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings." And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. And let's pray together before we go further this morning. Our great and holy God, our great King, above all kings, Lord, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together today and worship in this place. We are grateful today, Lord, for the freedoms that you've granted it, granted to us, Lord, that allow us to meet. Lord, we are grateful for the, the desire and the people that have gathered today to come together and to hear from your word, Lord. For your word is life and it is light to us, Lord. And we need you to open our hearts and eyes to see, Lord. And we pray that for each one that's in our midst today, Lord, that your spirit would do a great work inside each of us, Lord, to reveal who we are, Lord. This message is a a message of revelation, revealing, Lord, who we truly are and where we stand before you, God. And I pray, Lord, today that your spirit may bear witness in our hearts, Lord, of what kind and type that we are, Lord, because we're speaking about a day that's coming that is going to make everything so clear. And God, I pray today that in just in some way, Lord, your spirit might help us and aid us, Lord, in understanding this better, Lord. And we pray especially for those, Lord, who are not among your people today. Lord, any that are with us that don't know you, God, and I pray that your spirit might work and draw them in a mighty and powerful way, Lord, that they might find themselves among the jewels, Lord, that are gathered at your return. Thank you, Lord, again for your hope. Thank you for each one that's here Lord, today, and I pray that you would minister to each heart we ask and pray all of this in the name of your precious son, Jesus, who died for our sins, that we might be your people. Thank you for him today, Lord. May he be glorified. Amen. Just to review a little bit about what we talked about last time, the Lord, as he's laying out the charge to these people, he tells them, you all have been speaking stout words against me. Stout means bold, fearless. They have been saying some pretty gutsy things about God. There was no fear of God amongst many of the people, not all the people, but among many of the people of Israel at this time. They didn't really fear God, and so they were saying some pretty gutsy things, or maybe better said, some pretty foolish things. Some pretty foolish things. And of course, these people, as we can sometimes be even as Christians, can find ourselves aloof and unaware of what's really going on in us, right? Right? And I, and I know with a certainty, even as I stand before you here today, that I am not aware of all my sin. I'm not aware of all of my sinful attitudes and, and everything that's going on in my life. And I pray that God in His mercy would reveal those things to me as, as He would. Because I want it to be in His timing, in His way. Because if He threw all the doors open to let me see all of who I am, my friends, I'd probably just fall down on the floor. But God wants us to see what's really going on. And, of course, these people didn't realize it because they're saying, well, what have we said that's so bold? And the Lord responds. He says, this is what you're doing. Really, two things that they were saying. He says, number one, you are saying it's vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord. So the first problem was that many of the people were saying, look, serving God doesn't pay. It's not worth it. It's just not worth the effort. We've tried to do these things. In reality, they really weren't worshiping God the way God wanted to be worshipped, but they thought they were doing a good job, and they said it's just not working. They had these expectations They wanted God to do certain things in a certain way, in a certain time in their life, and they weren't getting what they wanted, and they said, this is just useless. The second thing they were doing was they were shopping around for another God, and they were looking at the other people. It says, and now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. The people who are doing sinful things, they're getting stronger, they're getting better. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. And so they were looking at people who were worshiping other gods outside Israel and saying, they're doing better than I'm doing. They got it going on. They were shopping around for other gods. And so they were saying, number one, serving God is futile. And number two, the wicked and the arrogant seem to be doing pretty well. And the Lord says, that's a problem. And so the part we talked about last Sunday, we went into this first foundation, and we see and we learn from verse uh, 16 that not everybody in Israel was rebellious. Not everybody, because the Lord has, it's like a cut scene here in this discourse where he cuts and he zooms in on the faithful ones. And it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. There were a faithful few, and they were sticking together, and they were talking to one another. And we're not told specifically what they said to each other, but we know it was pleasing to God. And we get this sense that they were building each other up and encouraging each other to stay faithful to God. And the Lord is watching and it says, as His faithful ones were doing this work, it says, God paid attention. And He listened. And that the Lord was writing these things down in His book of remembrance. He was having this recorded before him. And we talked about why it was being put in that book where the Lord is observing and seeing the faithfulness of his people. And we said, number one, this was, of course, back then a scroll. It wasn't really a book. It was the picture. And getting something written down was expensive because not everybody could read. Not everybody had scrolls. Not everybody had the ink and all the stuff. And so only things that were important and precious got recorded. And that was the first thing. The Lord considers what His people are doing to be precious. And the second reason something is recorded is because it's being saved for later. It's being saved for a time when that information is going to be needed and it needs to be accurate. And so the Lord is holding this in a book of remembrance for a future time when that information is going to be used. And that, that knowledge is a great source of encouragement to God's people. And we talked about how that's relevant to us, New Testament Christians. Same truths are communicated to us. We now go on, because the Lord is what He's addressing there with that cutscene to the faithful ones. He is saying, look, it is not vain to serve me. It's not a waste of time. I am paying attention. I'm listening, and I'm hanging on every word, every deed. Right? Jesus talks about don't let your hand know what your right hand's doing. The Lord sees it all. You will be rewarded by Him. You know He catches everything. That same principle. It's not a waste of time. The Lord is saying to serve Me. But He goes on. because he wants to address that more fully and more completely and also that other thing those people were saying. Because there were two things, right? Number one, serving God is a waste of time. And number two, the people who don't serve God, the wicked ones, they seem to be doing well. So the Lord is going to really address those two things with the rest of this passage, the rest of this discourse. So let's read this portion together again. And I want us to look, the title of this message, our point today, is about a coming day. Look at uh, Malachi 3.17 through chapter 4, verse 3 with me. I want you to to, to hear this, see this, and I'm going to focus on some words. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Then, that day, on that day, shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. Between him that serves God and him that serveth him not. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day cometh the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. That it, that day, shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise. When does the sun rise? At the beginning of a day. Then shall the, the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Have we noticed a pattern? There's reasons I got seven fingers up in the air right now. Because either directly or indirectly, seven times in this passage, there is reference to a day. A day. A great day, a significant day, this is the day of the Lord. Okay? And let me just make a comment. I, I sat in Brother uh, Adam Steele's teaching this morning and he's going through Revelation. And I know there's a variety of different convictions and about all the different things. I'm going to preach Malachi today. I'm not going to try to preach every other book of the Bible and pull all this together for everybody. I'm going to preach Malachi. Because number one, my brain's not big enough for that. And number two, you all don't want to sit here that long. Okay? So I'm going to preach Malachi. And Malachi, from his vantage point, as he is writing, he is speaking about a day. A great day. A day of the Lord. And he tells us some things about this day. Okay? This day. We learn some things about this day. And the first thing that we learn as we're looking about at this is that it will be a day of revelation. I'm not talking about the book of revelations. I'm talking about a day in which things are going to be revealed. Things are going to be made clear on that day. Okay? Because what we see in this passage is... The Lord says something without saying it. He concedes that right now, in the day of Malachi, and I'll argue even today, right now, if you were to look around, look around the room even, and you were to try to look at outward appearances and judge the righteous from the wicked, you'd have a hard time, wouldn't we? And if we were trying to look at circumstances of life, right? Right? circumstances of life, and say, who's righteous and who's wicked. We know from the book of Job, you can't do it, can you? You can't look at the outward circumstances that people are going through and say, ah, they must be wicked, they must be righteous, right? You cannot easily tell the difference. And there's a reason I have a picture of a pie up here, and I'm really focused on the meringue, because there is a sense of having to wait right? There is a sense of having to wait. And and, and the people who are caught up in the moment and simply looking at outward appearances and not listening to God's word or considering their history, we'll talk about that in a second. And the Lord is telling them what to do. They're saying there is no no point in serving God. Well, I've on a couple occasions had to make a meringue. And, you know, three ingredients, right? Egg whites, sugar, cream of tartar. Actually, there's a fourth ingredient. Patience. Right? Because you start to try to make that thing, and you got the right ingredients in there, and you start to you know, put the, the, the mixer on high, and the thing starts going, and, and I'll stand there and go watch and go, I don't think anything is happening. But Be patient. Right? If you're patient, it will start to stiffen, and the peak's and all the things that the recipe says will happen will happen, but you have to be patient until the end to see it happen. And I think that's what the Lord is trying to tell these people. There is a day that's going to come that is going to reveal the righteous and the wicked, and everything will be clear on that day day. What is currently clear to God will be clear to everyone. The next, next part of this passage I want us to look at is, is, I want us to look at the language because if you're looking at the King James, it says, then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. And, and the way the King James translated this, I think, you know, in our, mod, in our modern minds, we don't get the sense of what's going on there. The sense of what's going on, and I threw a few, other tra- uh, a few other literal translations up there, the New King James, the New American Standard, and the English Standard. What you see, the sense of what's meant here, is the Lord says you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Again, meaning you've already had opportunities to recognize the difference in the past. And you'll see it Again. As the ESV says, then once more you shall see the distinctions. You see, if they were to be honest about things and look back in their history, they would recognize there had been times that God had showed in a very clear, in a very public way that they were His people and that He cared about them. He moved in profound ways in their history. What what kind of things do we see? How has that happened? Well, you know, what about if you go back to to Abraham? When he, just he and the men who were with him were able to go and rescue all the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah because his nephew lot was among them and all the people, just a few of God's people were able to go and rescue all of those people of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was pretty powerful. What about Jacob and Laban, their forefather Jacob, whose name would be changed to Israel, where you know, every time Laban tried to, to take away sheep from Jacob and change things, the Lord kept blessing Jacob and Laban wasn't being blessed. What about Joseph being able, despite all that had happened to him, to rise into second in command in all of Egypt and be able to save the entire nation of the Israelites? And so they could actually become and grow as a a nation within Egypt. What about the Israelites being spared in the plagues of Egypt? Think about that one where it was so clear. It was literally light and dark. Where the Lord made it dark over all the land of Egypt except light in the land of Goshen. Where the Israelites were. Showing a distinction between His people and those who were not His people? What about the Israelite conquest of the Promised Land? What about the blessed reigns of David and Solomon? What about the restoration from Babylonian captivity, which was just a hundred years or so in their past, where like nobody else gets to come back out of captivity? But God preserves Israel and brings the nation back and allows them to come and gets money from Persia. Go rebuild your temple. Go rebuild the walls. That doesn't happen. God had showed. And so what the Lord is saying is, you all are complaining, and not only are you not looking at the promises that I've made, you're not even looking at your past. You're not thinking about what I have done he says you're going to see one day a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked it will be a day of revelation but it will also be a day of retrieval of restoration and a day of rejoicing we saw back in verse 16 of chapter 3 the Lord hearing, hearkening having the words of His people recorded. All very important to Him. And what's so neat to me as the Lord speaks about that day, one of the things He intertwines throughout that day, that great day, is what He's going to do for His people. And the first thing we see the Lord saying about these people that He's been watching, hearing what's going on, recording all of it, He says, they shall be mine. God is revealing His heart. He's revealing how He feels. And the, the language used here, we sang about that song in the lifeboat, the, the lifeboat this morning. That was my request. That we sing the lifeboat. Because here, it, it mirrors the language of the King James. There's a couple passages in that song that are actually inspired by the book of Malachi. Right. Sometimes the devil tempts me to say it's all in vain to try to walk a Christian life, walk and walk in Jesus. I know I didn't get it all right, but you, I mean it's kind of inspired by this passage in Malachi. But the lifeboat's coming to gather the jewels home, and the jewels here that's that's spoken of in this passage that refers to a ruler's personal property, a ruler's. Personal property. You see, when a king became king of a land, there were certain things that he would have or inherit by virtue of being a king. But then there are just some things that you own yourself, that are yours. And that's the language used there in that passage to describe the Lord coming for his people. Yeah, he owns the cattle upon a thousand hills. Everything you're looking at right now there is not a maverick molecule in this world that is not all God's but there is something special about God's people where he looks upon us and he says mine, mine. you are mine and that sense of possession in a special way because we hold a special place in his heart and he calls us something that is precious his jewels To bring us unto Himself. He goes on and describes it in yet another way. Later in verse 17. He says, and I will spare them. As a man spares his own son that serveth him. The word spared is I will show them mercy. I will doubly spare them. There's two Two reasons the Lord gives for sparing His own. He says, number one, because they're my children. I mean, there's family, right? I, if, if, if I can have an opportunity, you know, to save a life of my child and, and to, you know, versus other people, guess what I would do? I would spare and reach down and grab my child out of the way because I love them. They're mine, okay? And we're getting that sense of the Lord coming to, gra- to gather his people. And he's saying, first of all, they're mine. They're mine. They're, they're my family. They're my family. And not only in that sense is he wanting to spare it, show mercy. He says, as a son, and he goes on, that serves him. As a son that's not only my flesh and blood, but a son who has been faithful. And who has done everything that I've son. Not only does he have my heart because he's my son, but he pleases me in every way. And I'm going to come and get him. I'm going to come and get that child who has been so faithful to me because they're my child and because they've been so faithful, doubly spared. You know, on Wednesday night, for those of you who come on Wednesday nights, you know, we were talking about the sense of getting the righteousness of Christ. What is that righteousness? Not just innocence of sin, right? But perfect obedience. We see the power of the righteousness of Christ being upon us as the Lord comes and looks upon us. And yes, we have our faults and failures, but by having the blood of Christ applied to our hearts, we have his righteousness, and he comes and he gathers us as he would his own son, Jesus Christ. Because we're tied to him. We're tied to him. Malachi doesn't see or understand all that, but we we, through the lens of the New Testament, the revelation of Christ, we can see how that actually works. It makes sense. We see the Lord coming to gather His people to take them unto Himself on that day. And He goes on and tells us in chapter 4, verse 2. This is a day of restoration. He says, unto you that fear My name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. That is beautifully poetic, and I struggle trying to understand what does that mean. In that time, they understood the sun as having wings, and the wings represented the rays of the sun. Okay? So the wings of the sun were the rays of the sun. And the picture that we're giving is that the rising of this sun, the rays of this sun, as the rising of the sun is hitting, the rising of the sun on that day is hitting His his faithful ones, His people, that the rays of that sun are healing them. is healing their infirmity, healing their weakness, restoring all that has been broken, the rays of the sun, bringing restoration as this day dawns and as we are being restored it says what it says that we're going to go forth and grow up as calves of the stall again not language we use today but the calves of the stall were the ones that just, that weren't just free range they were fed they were kept in and they were given all the food that they needed so they became stronger calves healthier calves. They could run farther, they could jump higher than the ones that just grazed because they were tended so well by their masters. And he said, on that day when the sun rises with the healing and the rays of the sun upon those who are faithful, they'll run out like a, like a well-fed calf be jumping and being let out and rejoicing and even the wicked will be what? Ashes under their feet. It's a day of rejoicing. A day of strength. A day of victory over sin and sinners. That is the day that Malachi sees coming. A day of revelation. That will, the Lord will retrieve His people. Restore them and there will be rejoicing. But it will also be a day of ruin. Same day. A day of ruin. Ruin. He describes it in chapter 4 verse 1. Behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. It'll burn like an oven. And the oven pictured in that passage represents the hottest of furnaces. Not just an open fire like you have when you go camping. But something that was that was specially designed to get the most heat out of that fire so it could be stoked and fed to the hottest, blazing temperatures that could be achieved. That's what's going on inside that. And the Lord says that day is going to have a burning like that. Intense, terrible, fiery burning. And what will be burned on that day? It says, all the proud and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. Now just notice that. Look at that. The proud and those that do wickedly. Does that ring a bell for you? Have we talked about them before? You see what the Lord's doing? Go back in chapter 3 and look at verse 15. What were they doing? Now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. They're just increasing. And the Lord says, that day comes that the proud and the wicked shall be stubble. There in chapter 4. Verse 1, the Lord is going back to what they said because they're saying it seems like those people are doing well. And the Lord says not so. Because on that day they will be like stubble. What is stubble? Stubble is the dried up remnant of a former plant. It doesn't have any value and it burns really fast. In my garage, I have, because they brought us all these new trash cans, I got extra trash cans. Do I have a witness? Yeah. I use one of them to keep kindling in. When I'm out working in my garage, and I'm doing woodworking and stuff, and when I have extra pieces, scraps, they go in there because they'll burn really fast. They're smaller pieces. Sometimes I'll even cut them up so they'll burn even faster. And whenever I want to go in the back and have a bonfire or something like that, I go and I grab my kindling because it'll burn fast. It won't take long. It'll get that fire going. And the Lord is saying, those who are proud, those who are wicked, those who have not turned to Him, been faithful to Him, will be kindling. And how does he describe how that burning will be? He says, the day will burn them up. It will leave neither root nor branch. If you think about a plant, the root is the base, the foundation, the part from which it's gathering. Okay? It's the foundation of that plant that's supporting and sustaining its life. The branch is what bears the fruit. What, what produces the, the thing in it That's useful. And what the Lord is showing here is that neither root nor branch is left of the wicked. There will be nothing left. Your foundation gone. The fruit of your life, everything gone. It will all be burned up. You will be burned up. Reduced to ashes in this picture here in Malachi. And So this was the word of Malachi to the people of Israel, but our question that we need to ask is, what do we do with this passage? And I think the application is pretty obvious to us. But I want us to think for a few moments about the connections we find to this passage in the New Testament. Because Jesus makes a similar concession that Malachi makes here. And the concession is that at this time, Right now, in this day and age, we find what? It's hard to tell sometimes the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Right? And you can't tell by circumstance. You can't look on the outside and tell what all is going on. Jesus tells the parable of the weeds where there was a, a field of wheat that he had sown, but the enemy went out and sold, sold, sowed tares, weeds, in the field. And the problem is that when they're growing up, they look the same. They look very similar. And it's hard to tell them apart. And the servant, the angel, was, was asking the Lord, can I go down and, and harvest the weed or to pull out the weeds? And the Lord said, No, not yet, because in doing that, you might, if you're trying to pull the weeds, you might pull a piece of grain. You don't want to do that, but let them grow together. Here in Matthew 13:30, let them grow together. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, the weeds, and bind them into bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. The Lord Jesus speaking about a day when the distinction will be made clear. And the weeds will be pulled and burned. And those that are not will be gathered into his barn. And so there will be, as Jesus sees it, a day of revelation. That all these things which now are murky will be murky no longer. He also, the script, in the New Testament also speaks about a day of retrieval, a day of restoration, and a day of rejoicing. And I have this passage here from Titus. It's important for us to understand this. I've heard this. Not preached the right way. I'm trying to be a little bit... Um, I can't think of the word nice. Maybe that's the word. Titus 2. For the grace of God that bringeth us salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, means buy us back from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a Peculiar people, zealous of good works. And you notice on the screen that I have underlined and highlighted the phrase, a peculiar people. This is a word, peculiar, that has not aged well. It's not aged well since uh, 1611. Because when we think of peculiar today, what do you think of? Weird, strange, Odd, right? Something like that. That is not what that means. That means a people of my own possession. It means I sent my son to redeem people from sin, to make a people of my own possession. That would be mine. That would be zealous for good works that is 100% what that means. Okay? I understand that if we live to follow Christ, we will be peculiar in this world. But it's not telling us to be good Christians, we have to dress funny or anything like that. Okay? What it's telling us is that God wants His own people. That was the reason Jesus Christ came into this world to die. Is that every tongue, every nation every place for His name to be able to be a great across geography and across generations and so Jesus Christ came to take upon Him the sins of the whole world that whosoever would believe upon Him, would look to Him in faith could have eternal life and that life the Lord gives you, it brings you into His heart. He comes and there is a union with you. His spirit comes and lives with inside you when you get saved. You become a child of God. He changes your heart. He changes your motives and desires. Puts in you a desire to be what? To be zealous for good works. And when we're following the Lord, we're going to be zealous for good works. And the Lord looks upon his people and he looks upon those who are trying to live for him. And he looks and he says, What? Mine! Mine! They're mine! because we mirror the heart of God, because the blood of His Son covers us and He sees the righteousness of Jesus upon us. That's what He wants. His own people. And here Titus, Paul is writing to Titus and he's talking about the grace of God that's brought salvation to all men and that we're supposed to be living looking for that blessed hope. And what is our blessed hope? Jesus Christ coming back. That is our blessed hope, right? That is the day, the day, the day when Jesus comes. That's the day we're living for. Right now, we can't tell the difference so easily by outward appearances, right? We can't tell the difference so easily from outward appearances, but the day is coming, the blessed hope the glorious appearing. It will be a day of restoration. We sing about that, don't we? It'll be a day of rejoicing, right? All that's been lost and spent, the sickness, all the things that we've faced, he is going to make it all clear and worthwhile and will restore us. My friend, there's no sickness, there's no death. He's going to wipe away the tears and all these things we read about. A day, a day, a day is coming, Right? There's going to be nothing like it. That book's going to be open one day, and we'll see that nothing was forgotten a day. There's also a day of ruin that's coming. And and listen to to this. In Matthew chapter 3, we go back to the beginning of the Gospels. And it says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, it's cut down and cast into the fire. It says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me, and he's speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He, Jesus... Shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the language, the message of John the Baptist. And John was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting to me is when uh, we finish up Malachi, Malachi ends with, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Who did Jesus say that was? John the Baptist. Those are the verses directly after what we've just read and here we listen to the message of John the Baptist and what does the message of John the Baptist remind us of message of Malachi he talks about the axe being put at the root right he talks about being thrown into fire talks about burning up the chaff what's the chaff the chaff is the stubble right with unquenchable fire the hottest fire No branch, no root of the arrogant or the wicked left. And who is he speaking about? Those who would not turn to the Lord. Those who would not repent and ultimately place their faith in the one who is coming after John, which is the one we know about now, Jesus Christ. My friends, there is a day of clear separation. There is a day of ruin that is coming for those who do not truly know Jesus Christ. And I want to take us back here to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, and I want us to think as we close out today, and I want us to think about this one day that Malachi sees. And I want us to think about the two distinct destinies. One day, two distinct destinies. What is the one event? that triggers on that day the two different destinies. Is it not the rising of the sun? Is it not the rising of the sun? For we see that the rays of this sun will heal the righteous and burn the wicked. And the sun, I believe Malachi speaks of rising on that day. Though symbolized by an S-U-N, he is speaking about the S-O-N. He is speaking about Jesus Christ and His return and the presence of Christ and the impact that will have upon all in the world. And though those who know Him, who are ready, will be changed, right? Right? will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And will be given these new and glorious bodies that will be fit to what? To behold Him. To be in His presence. A day of restoration. A day of rejoicing. A day when He's coming back to gather His jewels home. All of those things happening for us. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, speaking about the coming of Jesus, called Him, I believe, the day spring from on high. The light who was coming to lighten the world. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. But what does the appearance of Christ do for the wicked? What do the rays of that sun do? the Son of God, coming in His glory. What does do the rays of His appearing do to the wicked? Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17. And I beheld when He had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the rocks and mountains, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand?" The same face that appears that brings life to the faithful is the same face that those who do not know Christ are seeking to flee from, even asking to be buried alive, to not be in the presence. Because, my friend, no man apart from the grace and strength of God can stand in that presence. The holiness of God will burn us up. a great day. And right now, what I want to ask you today is, how is your heart with the Lord? Where is your heart with God today? Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship, I mean, a real relationship with Him? I mean, salvation is not a process. You're not born a Christian my friend, that's not biblical in any sense of the world. word. Christianity, faithfulness, salvation happens when we are brought into a knowledge of our sin through the Word of God and the Spirit of God and we are convicted in that state and we cry out to God in that place of brokenness for help. And He saves us and He comes in and He changes us. He washes us on the inside. His Spirit comes and lives within us. And I've heard so many different testimonies people share about what happened when they got saved. But the consistent thing I hear so many times is that the burden was gone and then there was peace. The burden was gone and there was a peace. And all of a sudden, it's not just that moment that bears witness of our salvation, but He keeps working on us, doesn't He? He keeps going after us. It's different after you get saved. It's different. But you know what the Spirit of God does towards somebody who's lost? He will work to bring you into a place of conviction. A place where, where the mention of Christ and the preaching of the Gospel is something that makes you want to withdraw and pull back. A message that makes you kind of want to hide and get out of here as quick as you can and to avoid the conversations, to avoid the looks. My friend, that right there, that right there is just a little taste of what's going to happen on that day. I want you to understand today what's going on in your heart, my friend, is a little sense of what's going to happen on that day. Because that sense of wanting to pull back and hide at the preaching of the gospel, my friend, is going to be magnified magnified by a million if you die in your sins or if the Lord comes back and you have to stand before Him. Because you're not ready. Because you're not ready. And you think this is hard. You think this is scary. You have no idea. Because hell is not a good place. There is nothing redeeming or good about that. But my friend, if you know the Lord, if God is in your heart, you have the presence of God's Spirit within you, my friend, there is something that bears witness with our spirit, as it says in Romans 8, right? And then that joy that sometimes breaks through and peaks through through that peace, my friend, again, is just a little foretaste of what it's going to be when our Savior will come and He's parts skies, and we are changed in the moment, in a twinkling, and our hearts hear this and we can even now rejoice a little, rejoice a little, Reflecting a joy, rejoicing that's going to be a lot greater on that day. What's going on in your heart right now? What's going on in your heart right now? What does that day mean to you? Are you ready to stand before Christ Jesus? Are you ready for his appearing? Is it something you long for? Or is it something you dread? That's a good indicator. That's a good indicator of where you're at with him. And my urge to plead to you today is that if the message of Jesus and the presence of Jesus does not bring you comfort, but only turmoil, that you seek him because now you have an opportunity. Now you have a window of time and space to call upon him. And my friend, that eternal destiny can be changed in a moment. When you turn from yourself and your pride and you put it all in on Jesus Christ and you call upon Him and seek Him until He saves your soul, my friend, everything will change. Don't run away and hide today when the very thing the Lord has called you to do is to come to Him. To come to Him. To seek His face. We're going to have a song. An invitation. And the invitation is not about a bench. The invitation is not about a position of your body. The invitation is for you to come to Christ. The invitation is for you. It's about you and Jesus. You've got to put everything else aside. Every other distraction. Everything that might pull you away from this today. You've got to lay this aside. Because today it's about you and Jesus. And it's about this Jesus who has died for your sins, who has made a way for you to be saved, who has given you this opportunity, has given you this day, has given you the breath in your lungs, this working of His Spirit in your heart to show you that this is real, to give you a sense of dread and concern about that day because He's calling you so that won't be your reality. But it's about you and Jesus. And there's not a person in this room who can take that burden from you, but there is one who dwells in our midst today, who we've been talking about, and His name is Jesus Christ. And if you would go to Him, go to Him, and call upon Him and seek Him, my friend, He can give you exactly what you need today. We have a place. You're welcome to come and pray. We will pray for you. We will pray with you. But we cannot do what you need to do, which is to talk to God. But you are welcome to come, and this is a safe place. And we will let you pray as long as you want. It doesn't matter how long. Really, we mean that. doesn't matter how long. We'll stay and pray with anybody who wants to pray, who wants to talk to God. If you need to go someplace else and pray, you go. But you do it now. You don't put off salvation. You don't put off this opportunity because none of us are promised another day except a great day. We're all promised that day. What's that day going to mean to you? What's that day going to mean to you? that you've got today. This could be the greatest day of your life if you turn to Christ. Let's stand today. Seek the Lord.